Good evening. It's Saturday night. The Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. It's hard to believe that four years have passed. I I started the show on a Sunday. And then I think the second episode was on a Monday. (laughs) But I think at that time I wasn't recording daily. It's hard to say. I would have to go back. Because all those episodes are still intact. I do remember though at one point... When I started getting a sponsorship, <laughs> I don't seem to be getting those lately. Anyway, they say they don't exist, but I have another podcast and they do exist. So Anchor, get it right. And so when the sponsorship started, I remember they said, well, you know, you have copyrighted music. You got to take it off. Okay. So, or I think they removed it themselves. I don't remember because I used to do a show. Where I would play Wu-Tang. We just talk about the day. It was, a, it was a crazy time four years ago. If you if you look at what we were all currently dealing with. Administration wise. That's all I'm going to say. Versus now. Yeah. I know I'm doing something that I shouldn't. While I'm recording. But what are you going to do? It's the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. I want to give a shout out to the LNC and Strombo for doing a really great um, Strombo's Lit. It's a book club on Apple um, Books. And the first book was Termination Shock by Neil Stevenson. And it is about global warming. It's about this future that we're... In store for because we're not taking care of the planet. We're not taking care of things as we should. I'm open to getting an electric car. I totally am. Right now I'm driving a hybrid. And so my gas, I mean, I feel for those who, you know, gas is so expensive. But what is that telling you? If gas is so expensive and if you are within the means, get an electric car. I would love to get an electric car. We'll see what happens because the changing technologies come on come on and i know some people i don't want to drive a fucking electric car well okay as we talk about this i think of the the sci-fi films that really dive into this to dive into the technology is it there okay we all grew up you know with the simpsons i'm sorry the simpsons the Jetsons flying around and and I think everyone thought that would happen. They did get one thing right, the video phone. Although now if someone wants to FaceTime me, I make sure that I have clothes on and that you know, I'm not I'm not half awake. That that's the that's the only downside to this video call world that we live in. So Last night was so nostalgic for me because I was like, whoa, this has been become such a part of my life recording and talking to all of you and flexing my voice because I've always tried to do it authentic and honest. And I've and I have looked at podcasting gear, all the bells and the whistles. And I used to do that on the show. You know, I would do the audience, you know, they have like an audience button. But I'm going to be honest with you. It just didn't feel authentic 
because I, I like to get to it. I don't want to beat around the bush. And I don't like having anything unnatural or unorganic <laughs> that I want to put into this podcast. Like when I used to be able to change my voice on the podcast. That was fun for a minute. That was fun for a minute. And a little part of me is also very intimidated by all that software and all that equipment where all I have to do now is just talk into the phone. And and I know some people, it's not professional. Okay. All right. But I've been doing this show for four years. Four years. I love that I can just go and talk to someone and I don't have to set up. Nothing wrong with that. That I Hey, there are some really great people who do that. Uh, Jason Almy and Christina Almy and Chris Wetzke and Adam Simmons, they all have really amazing setups and gear, and I, and I applaud them for that. Uh, I just can't do that. Probably because I'm on the go so much, and I do have that one microphone, but I don't have it with me right now. So when I record, it's like, okay, all right. So tonight we're going to talk about just films in general. We the Academy Awards are upon us. What's going to happen? It's next weekend. It's going to be fascinating now, isn't it? And so we'll be back after these messages, but know this that this is a safe space. All right? And I and I don't uh, and I and I stress that because we're living in such a crazy world where people are giving you medical advice and they're podcasters. I am a podcaster. The Dr. Zeus moniker is a, is a nickname, okay? So we'll be back after these messages. Gibbons, who was the main art director at MGM Studios, he was actually sketching what 
what he thought would be a good design. And it was the Oscar statuette. And it was sculpted by George Stanley. And it's the same design of the statuette that it is today. You got this crusader with the crusader sword standing on a can of film. And the can of film has five spokes on it. And those five spokes represent what were then the five branches of the academy. They've added branches since then. But those are original five. Much heavier than I imagined. The weight of it is, is very impressive in itself. It really has a solid core to it. I think it adds to the power that the Oscar has. During the war years, they didn't have the materials to make a real Oscar, so they made them out of plaster, you know, light as air and everything. But then after the war, when those materials became available again, they went to actors and they gave them a regular Oscar. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. You would win an Oscar that night, but the next day the Academy would come and pick it up, and then it was out of your hands for like a week while they put the plate on it, because none of the Oscars given out have the names on it yet. Well, they started about 2009. They have this wonderful thing now at the official governor's ball after the Oscars. You can take your Oscar and take it over, stand in a little line, and they will make the plate there and attach it to your Academy Award. So you can just wait for like five minutes and get the Oscar. Besides the regular Oscars that we know that they give every year, the Academy's also been known to give a lot of special Oscars as well. 1938 when Snow White came out. They gave a special Oscar to Walt Disney and it was a big statuette and then the seven little ones. Edgar Bergen was this famous ventriloquist and he had this dummy made of wood, Charlie McCarthy. And so they gave Edgar Bergen an Oscar that had a mouth that moved for years. They gave the special juvenile award that they would give to people but only once. Shirley Temple was the first and then Mickey Rooney, Deanna Durbin, Judy Garland, Margaret O'Brien. Then they stopped doing that, and then they let, no matter what age you were, you competed with the adults. If you're honored with an Oscar, you have won indeed one of the great prizes because it's so difficult to win for so many reasons. And if it all comes together at the same time, you've really accomplished something. And it's so hard making movies and to have them validated that way. dedicate this to the people of Nogal. It's a great moment. And I'm very lucky, I'm very aware, I'm very lucky to be blessed with four nominations. Uh, I think with each one I say, I don't care if I win or lose, you're dipping my Oscar in gold again every time you nominate me. It's your moment. And there aren't that many moments that people aspire to. You know, because everybody tries to act like, yeah, it's not a big deal. It's a huge deal. Good evening and welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. Next weekend is the Academy Awards, or as you just heard, the Oscar, because the columnists were tired of writing about the gold statue, the Academy Award. Started in 1927, here we are 94 years later. And of course, that was the late Robert Osborne of Turner Classic Movies, who had a good relationship with the Academy and knew many of those Academy Award winners, including one of the oldest lived, and that is Miss Olivia de Havilland, who 
lived to be, what is that, 103, 104? And the, the Academy, yes, the Academy often has issues. They don't give it for the right movie. An example of that is when Ingrid, Ingrid Bergman was famously in Casablanca. We all know that. She famously looked at um, Mr. Robinson and said, play it again, Sam. Was she nominated for Casablanca? No, but Humphrey Bogart was. She was nominated for For Whom the Bell Tolls and didn't win until Gaslight, directed by George Cukor. There are so many Oscar speeches, and, and that's the thing. The winners, the winners are, you know, Whoopi Goldberg's Oscar speech was great, as was... Uh, Jane Fonda, when she accepted for her father, Henry Fonda, who was too sick to attend. I think we all have a favorite speech. We all have, you know, that actor that we loved who won it. The humility of winning those. And it's, it's a competition. It's, it's that little gold statue. And one of my favorites, though, because it's so heartfelt. Well, I'll just play it for you. I love the speech because it's it's from the heart. It's authentic, and that's what the Doctor Zeus Film Podcast is: authentic. So, of course, that is Cher. Why did I play that? Because she didn't think she was going to win. And I love the story that Cher tells where she says, uh, there's a really great documentary on the Academy Awards. And Cher says that when Paul Newman opened the envelope and he took a breath and Cher was like, poor thing. She says, she, she says, oh, I've lost. 
because she says it doesn't take a breath to say share. And then he said share. And her speech was authentic. The thing with the Academy Awards is if you write a speech down, this is what I've heard. That's actually considered a very big faux pas. If you op- if you have a speech prepared, that means, uh-oh. And so the clock starts ticking. And the Academy, for some reason, doesn't like that. And sometimes the audience doesn't either. But in Cher's case, she didn't think she was going to win. Here's Cher again. Uh, the history behind this is, you know, Cher been nominated for Silkwood, didn't win, and then she did the film Mask with the late Peter Bogdanovich, and she thought, you know, she would get nominated because everyone said it was such a terrific performance. She was playing Rusty Dennis in Mask. She was playing the mother of a disfigured teenager, played by Eric Stoltz, uh, playing Rocky Dennis, and... She wasn't nominated. So she goes to the Academy Awards that year in an outfit designed by Mr. Bob Mackey. <laughs> I'm going to play for you a few speeches because we, we all know about the Academy Awards. We all do. And last year... In fact, this year, 30 years ago, a very well-known, beloved actor. You see, 30 years ago, he was known in the industry, but he didn't have that part that really got him the acclaim. That he had been in the film industry since the 1960s, but it was 30 years ago that everyone knew his name. And he played probably one of the most charming and disturbing villains of all time. And the Oscar goes to Anthony Hopkins.
course, Dr. Hanabalakta, <laughs> Sir Anthony Hopkins. What's interesting is, is that 30 years ago, he wins the Oscar, and then 29 years later, he wins again for the father. He plays a character who is riddled with dementia, has Alzheimer's. Olivia Coleman plays his daughter. But just think about that. 29 years. You know who holds the record for the longest? Now, some of you are going to say, oh, Meryl Streep. Nope. Catherine Hepburn holds the record for the longest wins or span in between wins. She won the first Oscar for Morning Glory in 1933 and didn't win again until 1967 for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Now she has four, four. Hepburn never showed up to the Oscars. Her claims were that she didn't like losing, but maybe she just didn't want that attention. The fact that she has the most of any actor is hilarious and at the same time interesting. And, but she did, she did show up once. Forty-one years to be unselfish, and that was at the 46th annual Academy Awards. She was presenting the Irving Thalberg Award to Lawrence Weingarten. Now, the Thalberg Award is no longer announced on television, and that's fucked up. In fact, this year, eight categories will not be announced on television, and many actors and filmmakers are now. We're going to talk about this next weekend as we lead up to it are in solidarity with those within the sound, makeup, and documentary fields. In fact, Jessica Chastain will not walk the red carpet, she said, in solidarity with those whose categories aren't going to even be announced on air. Tonight, I just wanted to focus on this. I wanted to focus on the speeches and one speech that is very, very important. Is from an actor who really made history. And he died this year, but it was in 1964 that everything changed.
That was in 1964, and in 2002, yes, 20 years ago, history happened again when Sidney Poitier and Halle Berry both won for lead performances, and, and it was, talk about a long time coming, 40 years. And it, and it wasn't until, uh, you know, it took, it took a while, and then, and then you know, I, that might change next weekend. In 2015, a really beloved and controversial director won an honorary Oscar. He'd never been nominated, was supposed to get nominated for Do the Right Thing, didn't get nominated, got an honorary Oscar from two of the actors that he worked with, Samuel L. Jackson and Denzel Washington. And then, two years ago, he finally won a competitive Oscar, but in, in screenplay. Um, and was and was nominated for director, but didn't win. Here we go.
And that's why I love Spike Lee. Yes, to some Spike Lee is controversial, but he's authentic. And he took that moment and gave that speech. The Oscars are slowly but surely becoming more and more inclusive. There's a lot more diversity. More women are winning Oscars for directing. And three very important Mexican directors. First, Alfonso Caron. Second, Alexander uh, G. Enrietu. And third, a man who is obsessed with horror films and one for directing, gave us Pan's Labyrinth, gave us The Shape of Water, and I love saying his name because he's such a great director, and I love his enthusiasm for scary movies. He's nominated this year, Guillermo del Toro. That's why I wanted to play that speech because Guillermo del Toro encompasses film history in that moment. He's fully aware. And the inclusion within the industry. In that same year, Frances McDormand won and she gave a really great speech, as she always does. And Frances McDormand said, I have two words for you inclusion, writer. And how the Academy can be more inclusive. And so those are the speeches. The Oscars are next weekend. Film right there. They don't always get it right. But when they do, Helen Mirren, they got it right in that moment. Or Daniel Day-Lewis. One, two, three. Robin Williams. 
for the Goodwill Hunting. That's where they got it right. Christian Bale, he should have won for Vice. And the one actor for me that I always felt they got it right, the year that Glenn Close was favored to win. The moment Olivia Coleman won, I thought, there, because she so deserved it. I, it's not that Glenn Close didn't, and I enjoyed The Wife, but I loved The Favorite. I thought it was hilarious, and I thought Olivia Coleman is such a great comedic actress. She can break your heart in those moments with the bunnies, and those bunnies each represented each child that she lost. And then at the same time, she can be hilarious. And that speech uh, proved right there. And so, as always, unpleasant dreams. Mm -hmm.